The following audio content is a talk given at the Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theinnseattle.org. We invite you to join us each Tuesday at 9 p.m. on the corner of 16th and 47th in Seattle's U District. Tonight, we want to talk a little bit about secrets. And、uh, I'll, I'll start by, by saying that. Uh, you know, secrets are, are, I think they're hard for all of us.、Um, I remember about 13 years ago,、uh, it was, I think it was actually more than that now, that I was、uh, shopping around and I was doing so by myself、um, for a little diamond to put on this woman's finger, this woman named Julie. And I, w- I was kind of freaking out about it and whatever. And, and eventually I bought this diamond. And I recognized that just, own, just having this diamond in my possession kind of changed me. Like my whole, I was like, oh gosh, what do I do with this? And trying to, trying to keep, keep that a secret wasn't going to happen. So I resolved that I was not actually going to be responsible for this thing for more than 24 hours. So I proposed in less than 12 and got rid of this thing immediately, <laughs> put it on Julie's finger. Because I knew that she was going to be able to see right through my ability to, to keep that secret. Well,、uh, not 13 years ago, but、uh, rather just、uh, about three months ago, less than three months ago、um, at this point, it was the, the Thursday before we were leaving、uh, to go to the Dominican Republic. And I come, I come down the stairs, and, and my wife, Julie, and my youngest son, Colin, are up. Colin, the two year old, hasn't been sleeping super well, so he was up. But it's one of those things where when Colin's up in the morning, he's just, he's totally chipper, so you can't hate him for it. You kind of want to, but you can't. And, you know, I come downstairs, and there's Julie looking cute. There's Colin looking cute. And I'm like, hey, how's it going?、I'm, and, and Julie goes, oh, doesn't he look cute? And I say, yeah, he does look super cute. And she's like, how about another one? And I'm like, oh, no, no, no. She's like, well, get, get ready. And I'm like, no, 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 really? That was her way of saying, yes, we're going to have a third one of these things. So, yeah. Um, but here's the thing. Here's the thing. I had to,、uh, yeah, you know, I, we, we,、uh, I had to then carry this secret onto the airplane with 60 of my now, now closest friends on the way to the Dominican, and I couldn't talk this thing. You, you talk about、uh, needing to, To keep a secret, and people are coming up and saying, and, and I've just had this traumatic experience, right? Like, I was down the road thinking, okay, we're done with two, we're almost done with diapers, the kids are gonna be in school next fall, I'm gonna get my mornings back, woohoo! Okay, and then, no. So, I've had a, a somewhat <laughs> traumatic experience of, of having to get used to this. So, people, you know, we're on the plane, people are like, Church, how's it going, man? I'm like, oh, you know, great, great. Well, what's new? And I'm like, oh, nothing. Okay. You know, that's a fat, hairy lie. But I'm trying to keep a secret. So, you know, this is why I looked up online. I'm like, well, how do people usually announce that they're pregnant? And I got all these things. Of course, there's the fortune cookie method. And then there was the, I like the one with the telling people you're pregnant with spaghetti sauce. You know, hey, we're prego. Okay, that's creative. But my favorite one was the morning sickness selfie. <laughs> yep, there it is. So, and, and here's one of the reasons I selected these. 
is the fact that, that there, is, there is a we to it. Um, look, um, I'm just going to tell you guys, when you're ready to have a family, it is a we experience, okay? It might be only, uh, you know, the, the woman in this case that has the actual morning sickness, but there's sickness involved for everyone, trust me. Um, how about you? What happens when you try to keep secrets? Um, is it one of those things where you're comfortable with maybe bending the truth a little bit? Um, or is it one of those things where when you have a secret, you, you've got the integrity that you are going to do everything you can to not tell a lie, so you avoid situations, you do everything you can to not confront maybe somebody that you, you think might ask you a question that would get awkward and you'd have to lie, you, you, you do uh, this or that. Maybe you're one of these people that doesn't even try to keep a secret. Uh, I found a, um, a study online uh, that was completed last year in the UK that uh, it asked the question, you know, what, what kind of happens with secrets? And it studied, its sample space was 1,000 women in the UK. And this study found that, that these women were able to keep her secret on average for about 32 minutes, okay? <laughs> okay, this, is, this was like a serious study. And, and this, this thing went into analytics on how, on how it didn't used to be that way, but social media and our connectedness has actually accelerated that rate, 32 minutes. Now, guys, before you go hitting your chest and saying, oh, guys are way better, A, we weren't all that much better. Um, and it, but, but here's the thing, in a different study, that studied how guys interact with secrets. It studied 3,000 men. And, and what this study found was that men were slightly better at not divulging other people's secrets, but six hours later, they couldn't remember the secret that was told to them, okay? So there was this, so what's the, what's the, the takeaway of, of, this, of, of these two things, okay? My takeaway is that, is that women actually care more, okay? They care enough to share. They care enough to talk about it. You make what you will about those. But the reality is that we typically are people with secrets. We have secrets. We listen to secrets. We keep secrets. And unfortunately, I think a lot of the way that we keep secrets, particularly, the way that we make secrets, is actually what contributes to this prevailing sense of loneliness that we've been talking about this quarter. This prevailing sense of being surrounded by people, but feeling isolated, feeling lonely. And so tonight I want to explore, how does this happen? And what is the invitation that God gives us in that? And to do that, I want to look at a story of a man da- named David. And arguably, it is, it is the low point of David's life. This character from the Old Testament that is known for his character. He's, we, he is described as a man after God's own heart. He led the people of Israel to their high point in their history, even to this day. Uh, And 
unfortunately, he became, he had a, a moment in his life that scripture tells us about where he became a man of secrets. Let me uh, read this story for you now. This is out of 2 Samuel, uh, starting at chapter 11. Again, it's in the Old Testament. If you want to join us in reading, if you brought your Bible, it, Old Testament meaning those pages in the front of your Bible that are still all stuck together. Uh, now's a chance to get them unstuck. Okay, here's what it is. Here's what it says. 2 Samuel, uh, beginning at chapter 11. In the spring, in the time when the kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. Okay, a couple of, couple of notes here. First, I just love that I think it, it might be something that we can empathize with as we read the balance of this story, that it's springtime. Springtime is the time of Twitter patient, uh, and David decides to stay home. Now, it's important that, again, we remember David was known uh, before he was a great king. He was known as a mighty warrior. And so instead of David doing what David does, instead of this guy, you know, listening to the the advice that I always hear you guys give each other, hey, you do you, man, do you, okay? (laughs) David doesn't do himself and go out to the battlefield, go out to fight against the Ammonites. Instead, he remained in Jerusalem. The story continues. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. And David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him and he slept with her. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I'm pregnant. Um, David fails to go out on the battlefield to do what David does and finds himself perhaps a bit bored, certainly tempted in the way that many of us have experienced temptation, overwhelmed by the desires uh, that, that he has in a sexual sense. And it leads him to what we can just call sin not doing himself, and from here, the story goes downhill. Um, We heard about this man, Uriah the Hittite. Let me summarize the balance of what happens here in chapter 11, okay? Uriah is, is, think about one of the generals of the Israelite militaries. They're going out and and, and advancing the purposes of Israel in uh, in the area surrounding Jerusalem. Uriah is, is one of the great warriors. He was uh, not or, originally um, in the same clan of David, but as a Hittite, he probably came to believe in Yahweh. He was a, con- a convert to um, the, the Israelite tradition. And one of David's most trusted men. Well, as we heard, David sleeps with this guy's wife. Well, and as he gets word he's pregnant, he sends for Uriah to come home. Hey, come home. And what's he doing now? He's, he's going, oh man, I've got to cover my butt. I've got to make this look like it's not uh, my fault or like nothing's happened. And so he invites Uriah to come home, but Uriah, 
uh, for a general coming off the battlefield while his men are still out there. You just don't do that. So out of empathy, he refuses to go in and sleep with Bathsheba. And David tries on two different accounts. David then if that's not enough, has him come in and they kind of party together. David gets him drunk for the purposes of trying to get him to go and be with his wife, but Uriah once again refuses. And so to the Jewish reader, there's a, there's a, a pretty crazy irony here that the foreign leader, the, the, so to speak, non-native Israelite is the one that's actually obeying the rules around, around purity and sexual ethics that were clearly in place. And the king of Israel is not. And so David responds, okay, with this cover-up. So he sends Uriah back out onto the field and sends word to another of the generals that you are to put Uriah not only back in battle, but to put him on the front line. That is essentially a sentence of execution. Okay, he basically was saying, have Uriah killed. Well, Uriah's killed, and this whole narrative ends, um, chapter 11, when it says um, that, um, but the thing David had done had displeased the Lord, had displeased the Lord. I don't want to weigh in a whole bunch tonight on what this means from a sexual ethics point of view. What I want, to, want, want us to pay attention to tonight is really the decision-making involved. Because one of the things that this story speaks to me is how David, in this story, he doesn't tell a lie. Did you notice that? If you were to go back and read this, he doesn't tell a lie, but he has this sin that's committed in secret And he does everything he can to try and leave it that way. He protects the secret. If I can bring Uriah here and get him to sleep with his wife, then nobody will ever know what I did. It'll just be my dirty little secret. He's trying to protect the secret. Now, this is really important for us to hear tonight. Because I'm convinced as I meet with college students and as is I'm allowed the privilege uh, to hear what's going on in, in so many of the lives in, in this room as our staff does the same thing. I'm convinced that we all have secrets that are keeping us from knowing the fullness of intimacy with God and intimacy with each other. You see, what happened in this story was David ended up spending a lot of time and a lot of energy trying to protect the secret, and in doing so, spinning a bit of a lie to do it. While he didn't tell a lie, protecting the secret became a bit of a lie. What's going on in your life that you are protecting as a secret? So often the things that I hear about have to do with the image that we are, are trying to uh, send out to others about who we are or who we are not. We find ourselves very ashamed of some of the things that are, are happening in our lives. And if I'm to listen to the stories, and if I'm to 
look at the statistics, uh, two of the things that we try to keep secret in the community that we live in of college students, men, we try to keep secret our obsession and at times our addiction to pornography. We try to isolate ourselves and keep anybody else from knowing that or from speaking into it. And even if we don't necessarily lie to do it, we find ourselves trying to keep it a secret. It's our own dirty little secret. And in a corresponding way, and we know this, no shocker, right? It's eating disorders for women. More or less, uh, if we were to look at a lot of statistics, a bit of an epidemic uh, in college communities, not just here, but around the country. We have issues with body, and there are things that, that we will do in secret to nurture that secret and to nurture those habits. And what I want to, even before I continue, what I want you to know tonight, if you hear nothing else while I've got your attention, is that it doesn't have to be that way. That there are ways to not live in those secrets. Whether it's a meeting with one of our staff and being able to say, hey, uh, I need to share this. Um, my wife is here tonight. She treats, uh, she treats women with eating disorders. She has a clinic here in the U District. Perhaps uh, this is an opportunity for, for people to uh, talk with Julie tonight, either because it's a secret you want to overcome or you want to help somebody else overcome that secret. We are people who keep secrets. Now, why do we do this? Why do we keep secrets? Why did David uh, want to bring Uriah in and make it look like he was the one that conceived the child? And, and why, would, why would he then, uh, then send Uriah out and essentially give him a death sentence? Perhaps the reason that we keep secrets, that we're not totally honest, is to keep the peace. To kind of keep things as they always, always are, to not rough the waters too much, not shake up the boat too much. It's a way to, to skirt issues that might be really hard for other people, that might hurt other people, that might hurt us. We don't like to, to tell our secrets or we like to keep these secrets because we're scared that if I make this thing known, I'm going to be found out that I'm not worthy to date this person, to be in this particular job, to live into a certain opportunity. Well, I'm here to tell you that just keeping that a secret, look, you're going to end up breaking up with that person anyway. It's going to come to the surface. That these things that we try to keep secrets are going to come out. And so we share these secrets, or perhaps we're forced to. That was the case of David. Let me read for you what happens in the end of the story. Okay, now, yeah, let's, let's, let's do this. This is um, 2 Samuel chapter 12, and it says this. 
The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, this is Nathan speaking to David, there were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb he had bought. He raised it and he grew it up with him and his children. He shared his food, drank from his cup, and even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. David burned with anger against the man and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives. And in this whole narrative, this is the first time David has invoked the name of the Lord. As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this must die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel said. I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave your master's house to you and your master's wives in your arms. I gave you the house of Israel and Judah. And if this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Goes on to say in verse 13, then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. You see, it's really interesting to me that from the beginning of chapter 11, until David hears this story, somebody who is who has written over half the Psalms, who to this point is called a man after God's own heart, who has praised the God, who, was, who, who praised God and sought God every step of the way, somewhere along the lines, totally forgot God. Totally failed to remember God, to pray to God. You see, Often in our secrets, it's our bad theology that even allows those secrets. We somehow believe that God isn't there in our secrets or that God doesn't see those secrets. You see, the reality is that God is present. That's what I want you to remember tonight. That even in our secrets, God is present Now, for some of us, that's bad news. Even for David, this was hard news to hear. Uh, Let me share with you Psalm 139. Uh, it It says this. You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit down, when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. And catch this. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? Okay, when we're keeping a secret, we would love to think that God isn't there, that God doesn't see it. That God isn't part of it. 
Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? What goes through my head when as David writes this is, would you just leave me alone for a second and leave me to my sin? But if I go up to heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there, your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. When I read that psalm, I feel a sense of tension. There's that time where we kind of just want God to leave us alone. What this psalm reminds us is that God is with you. And there's nothing you can do to change that. The secrets that you keep, God knows them. Believe that. God already knows them. You're not keeping anything secret from God. Yet the secret is often keeping you from God. The energy that you put into the secret, the time that you put into the secret means that you aren't really keeping secrets. Rather, it might be that secrets are keeping you. We need, friends, we need good theology here. We need to believe that God is present and God is with us. Why? Okay, here is, here's the gospel. The gospel is that God is with you and he is gracious and he will forgive. He does forgive. In fact, there is nothing that can separate you from the love of God. The difference between King David and King Saul is that when David got in trouble, in this case, he repented. Others did not. You see, all these promises had been made to David about what his kingship would mean, about what God would do in the world through the line of David. And you know what? The sin did not disqualify those promises. Another beautiful psalm that we see is a psalm of repentance, Psalm 51. Uh, a very famous psalm uh, that I'll skip down. Go to the next page there, Brian. This is the psalm that, that reminds, that, that asks, create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your spirit from me. Implied, the spirit is with you. Don't take it from me because it's already with me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. This psalm was written right after this event with Nathan. This was David's song of repentance. Create in me a clean heart, O God. You see, even in our secrets, even as we try to keep our sin secret, God is present and the promises that our promises, his promises will not be taken from us. So what? What does this mean for us tonight? It means that I desire that we would be a community that would resolve to not keep secrets that would keep us enslaved. Okay, 
that we would be a community that would find a way to share our secrets. How do we do this? Okay, maybe here's a drill that you want to try out uh, in a journal to write down your secret and to write down uh, alongside that the person that you most do not want to know that secret and to find a way to share that secret, to get it off your chest. Maybe it means that there would be a confrontation. But here's what I'm getting at. I am not saying that we need to be a community that just verbal vomits all over everybody. I don't, here I go, I masturbate six times a day, okay? That's not what I'm getting after, okay? And and we laugh about this, and perhaps we should, but the, the reality is that there have been times where in trying to be authentic... And in trying to to share ourselves, we actually do so inappropriately. We make people own things that they shouldn't have to own. But here's the challenge that I will give you individually, is that there wouldn't be any part of your life that someone doesn't know. Okay? Maybe your your small group, your, your inner circle is going to be a place that knows most of your secrets, that knows most about you, but maybe they don't know everything. Maybe there's a couple of things that have happened that are just going to stay within the confines of, you know, your brother, your sister, your parents at home. Maybe there's other secrets that that, uh, have happened in particular places that you share there, but that there would be no place where there isn't somebody that doesn't know that. This is something that I have tried to do in my own life. There are, I'll stand before you right now and tell you that there are things that I'm not going to tell you standing up in front of the inn right here. But there are things, uh, but there isn't anything in my life that I'm not going to tell someone. There might be something that, that you would find out about me a little bit later on, and I would say, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, my buddy Mark knew that years ago. I already told him that. Okay, that there isn't any part of my life, hopefully, that is still covered in secrecy. Why do I suggest this? Because my desire is that you would be set free. The gospel is that you would know that freedom the freedom to be in relationship with each other without fear, and the freedom to experience intimacy with God without that same fear. You see, in part what the cross has done is say, your secrets are already known. You were created good. You were damaged by evil, and you are redeemed by faith in Jesus Christ. And there isn't any secret that's going to intimidate God enough to say, you're disqualified. Rather, instead, all of the promises remain, even in our secrets, which is why we come to this table. This is a table that reminds us of the fellowship that we have in Jesus. It was a night as Jesus was sitting around 
with his friends, a night when he would confess both to those friends and to his father, God, about the suffering that he would prefer to not take. And instead, he gives us a meal that invites us into fellowship with one another and to fellowship with him. It was on that night that he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, broken for you. Take and eat. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant. Take and drink. And as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim that your hope is that this is true. In Jesus' life and death, that there is no secret that's worth keeping. That there's no secret that can keep you from the love of God. And so this meal is a tangible reminder of the presence and love and grace of God tangible reminder that we break off and that we dip into a cup that we actually take inside of our bodies that says those secrets that you keep are not as powerful as the one who would go to the cross and die for you. Let me pray for us. God, thank you that you invite us to something better. You invite us to be known And you invite us to be loved and to know that love. And so we pray that as we come to this table together, uh, that you would be with us, that we would know the reality of your presence with us. It's in Jesus' name, amen.